The Daily Tap is live for Tuesday. We are going to talk about the conference tournaments for Marquette and Wisconsin will handicap chances in the Big East and Big Ten tournament. We're going to talk about the mismarketing of Giannis Antetokounmpo. We are also going to do the Wisconsin Shotsky, Justice for Thomas Moore, Kelvin Ridley's gambling problem, John Rothstein's tweets. It's all there. I don't know if we'll have a Chuck's Corner. Um, I don't necessarily have anything kind of sitting in my craw. Maybe I'll talk about the blogging stuff uh, at the end. I don't know if you guys care about that, but we'll do maybe a little little Chuck's Corner at the very end. If you're wondering where is the Rodgers stuff, look, Aaron Rodgers is going to make a decision today, we think. Devontae Adams is going to either be tagged or not tagged today. It makes no sense for me to talk about either on this podcast because A, it's going up, I don't know, 7 o'clock, 7.30. Apologies to the early morning listeners. Um, But also, too, like it's going to change in in a matter of minutes. So the fact of the matter is is it makes no sense for me to be like, oh, yeah, Aaron Rodgers is going to do this or Aaron Rodgers is going to do that when we should get a decision from Rodgers later today and we'll react about it tomorrow on the Tapping the Keg program with Mitch. Um, we'll talk Rogers, Adams. We'll, I'm sure, talk about the Bucks. Um, maybe even do a little baseball. Uh, see where we at. We are at with baseball, and it's not good. Um, but yeah, so we'll stay tuned on that. Uh, but yeah, we're going to do college basketball. We're going to do a little bit of NBA, and then obviously the rapid fire. So before we get going, just a reminder follow us on Twitter, Tapping the Kegs, Tapping the Keg there. Tabby Keg Sports on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. You can also follow us there. Um, if you're new to the program, maybe you're a Shay Ken uh, listener who listened to the podcast with me and Shay earlier la- or last week. Welcome. Make sure you're subscribing, um, whether it be Apple, Spotify. And if you're already subscribed, rate, review, do the thing. Uh, we'd appreciate it. And also, as well, uh, we have the March Madness Tournament. It's up. It's live. Um, I've sent out links. If you had already participated, it's in your email. Check that. If you are new, um, I have links. Just send me a note. Um, I did tweet it out yesterday. I'll try to kind of tweet it out at least once a day. Um, Get an Instagram post, hopefully up today as well to uh, elicit more signups um, so you guys can sign up, ready to go. Uh, we'll put the pedal to the metal next week um, when the bracket is out, but I did want to at least get the initial starting point, um, hopefully having some prizes as well. So, all right, a lot of uh, housekeeping there. Let's talk about the conference tournaments and the chances that Marquette and Wisconsin have to take home the Big East and Big Ten crown. Marquette Golden Eagles will begin their journey on Thursday afternoon. They play the Creighton Blue Jays. Now, the Jays have been a team that has been a thorn in Marquette's side this season. Marquette has lost to Creighton by a combined total of seven points in two games. Now, it's kind of fraudulent in that second one, because or first one, because they lost in double overtime. It was a Terribly frustrating game on January the 1st where Marquette should have won. They had that game won 10 times over. Shaka Smart did not follow on a three. Alex O'Connell sent it into a second overtime. And Marquette completely lost all confidence. Now after that game, Marquette turned the corner and railed off seven straight wins. Since then, it's been a little bit of inconsistency for Marquette. Marquette has not won back-to-back games since January 23rd and January 26th. In fact, since that seven-game streak, Marquette has not been able to win back-to-back games. 
Now, I would argue that that is a little bit fraudulent, all right, because they beat Villanova, right, at home. That was a big win, a crowning achievement, 8-4. and four. They had to go on the road to play Connecticut. Connecticut is a terrible matchup for Marquette uh, just with the way they can rebound the basketball, so I'm not really fretting about that. They lost at Creighton after beating Georgetown. The loss to DePaul is one where I was like, okay, that's fair. Like, you should have won that game. That should definitely have been a win. Had Marquette won that game, they'd be up three straight. They'd be winners of four of their last five. But the DePaul game was stunning, to say the least, as they had a lead and then just completely fell apart in the second half. So it's up to Marquette to really kind of make a statement here against Creighton. It's not like Marquette's going to be out of the tournament if they lose this game. It's not like they're going to, you know, maybe have a 10 seed. I think at worst, Marquette would be a 9. I mean, but a lot can happen. The conference tournament can either shuffle the deck or confirm the deck. That's kind of, to me, what conference tournament week is all about. Either we know all of these teams are where they belong in terms of their seeding, or we are going to see just massive movement. And some teams will rise, some teams will fall. It's just depending on how, how the cookie crumbles during the week. But you should expect a very close game between Creighton and Marquette, as the first two were just barn burners to the end. Creighton is pretty hot. Now, they did lose to Seton Hall. They did lose to Providence. But Creighton was 5-5 five and five on February the 5th. They finished 12-7. and seven. So for those non-math majors at home, they won seven of their last nine games. So that's pretty impressive. Now, you could nitpick this a little bit and say, all right, they beat Georgetown twice. They beat Butler once. They beat DePaul once. They beat St. John. So they took care of business, really. They haven't beat a lot of good teams besides Connecticut, who they swept, Marquette who they swept, but they got swept by Seton Hall. They lost both of their games, or one of their games to Villanova. They didn't play Villanova twice. They also lost to Providence once. Providence did not get a second matchup because of COVID. There's a lot of, I didn't realize a lot of people think Providence's title is Mickey Mouse because they didn't play as many teams because of COVID, uh, which is really fascinating um, to look at, but definitely not what we're talking about here. So yes, Creighton and Marquette, it's going to be close. Marquette has thrived in neutral site games. If you remember, they nearly won their Charleston tournament. They lost St. Bonaventures in the final, but they were able to beat Ole Miss, were able to beat West Virginia. Now, both those teams are not tournament teams, but at the time, we thought Mississippi, Virginia, West Virginia, excuse me, were going to be very good teams this season. They did not live up to the potential, nor did St. Bonaventures for that matter. St. Bonaventures, people thought, was going to be like a sneaky tournament team, and St. Bonaventures has definitely disappointed this season in the Atlantic 10. As for Creighton in terms of neutral site games, they played a few. They played. They lost to Colorado State. They did beat Southern Illinois on a neutral site, and they beat BYU on a neutral site. Those, so they're two and one in neutral site games. So it's not like they struggled away from Omaha, where they've obviously played really well. Uh, the Rothstein tweet: Omaha, middle of America. But yes, this will be as as mentioned. It will be a very good game. The one thing that is interesting to me in this matchup, if you look at conference numbers per Ken Palm. Creighton turns the ball over a ton. Creighton turns the ball over 20% of the time. Marquette forces turnovers about 18% of the time. I think sometimes turnover stats are a way in to say, all right, this team is better than that team or why you should handicap it 
to Marquette or to to Creighton. I also look at like how they do against three point defense. They have a team is really good at shooting the three, but the defense for that team is poor. That's another way to be like, all right, that's a sign in the right direction. But for these two teams, the turnover stuff, I think is not as big of a concern when you're at home. When Creighton's at home, it's like, okay, you you have the home crowd, you're able to, you know, kind of respond, you know your court, you know you're comfortable there, but like a neutral court, that can lead to a lot of problems. That can lead to a lot of issues. And on top of that, they do not have Ryan Nebhard, who is their point guard. And so right now, they are playing seven deep. And really, it's six deep because Ratti, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. It's Andrew Shavili. Um, they basically have a six-man rotation right now. And that, and they have a really big rotation right now. So right, this is against Ant Seton Hall. They were 6'7", 6'6", 7'1", 6'4", 6'7". So Marquette is going to have to be really good on the glass. They're going to have to be really, really good on the glass. Now, they did have 14 turnovers in that game. They don't really have a true ball handler. That could be a significant issue. A guy like Tyler Kolick or Greg Elliott could tear up what Creighton wants to do, even with the the size differential. I think this game is going to depend a lot on how it's officiated, right? If Creighton is going this big, then it's going to really be dependent on our, will Marquette get calls? Will this be a physical game or is this going to be a classic Big East brawl where it's an all-out fight for everything? And if it is that, I think that favors Creighton. And we've seen that bite Marquette in the ass, most notably when they've ran into Seton Hall in the Big East tournament. If you remember, or if you're new to the program, I one time had a legendary rant after a Seton Hall loss uh, when Miles Powell should have got kicked out of a game. It was a semifinal matchup. I <laughs> Was it the two? It wasn't the 2020 because COVID canceled. It was 2019, I think. Yeah, 2019. Just went completely hay off on that. Um, I was drunk too because it was a Friday night. Um, so maybe should have podcasted, but it was still a lot of fun. Um, I, I regret nothing, um, and I I stand by every word that I said on that show. Uh, but. Anyways, so so you do have the option where it could get really kind of ugly with these with team. I'm not saying like there's gonna be a fight or anything. I'm not saying like there's gonna be a Jawan Howard situation here, but more so saying that with the physical nature of what Creighton brings, they're going to be relentless on the glass. Now they were out rebounded. I know rebounding stats are kind of like quarterback wins, so I'm not gonna take that into much consideration. But yes, they have a very large lineup. And Marquette, I wouldn't say is undersized, but Marquette doesn't necessarily have the beef. So that could be a disadvantage to Marquette. Also, their three-point defense for Creighton is pretty was pretty good all season. But I, I do wonder with those size, sometimes you can get a little bit of laziness. So Marquette's going to have some open opportunities. I do think with a neutral site game, what I prefer and what would used to drive me crazy about Marcus Howard is I really do think you need to attack the rim. Now, I know Creighton is really good at two-point defense. They're ninth in in all of college basketball per Ken Palm in terms of two-point defense. So that is a little bit of an issue. But they're going to have to find ways in, and you're going to have to find ways to sort of make it happen against this Creighton team who you desperately would like to get revenge against. And if Marquette wins this game, I think Marquette's comfortably an eight seed. I think they might make a case for a seven seed, in my opinion, um, pending on 
on what happens against either Providence or Xavier or Butler um, into in the semifinals. So I do think Marquette has a real chance against Creighton. I do think they can win this game and definitely think that they they can you know move on to the semifinals. Now Marquette has never played in the final. Have they never played in the finals? I think they- Marquette has been notoriously bad in these Big East tournaments. Maybe not notoriously bad, but they've never made a Big East final. They've never made it to the Big East final. They've been in the Big East for over 15 years now. Like, they just, it does not seem to click. Like, at some point, the luck runs out. I do think there is a little bit of a home court advantage with some of the teams. You know, they've gotten railroaded by teams like Georgetown. Uh, Pittsburgh's beat them pretty good. Louisville beat them like a drum one time. Villanova's got them. I think they've had chances, you know, that Seton Hall game, I think they blew, they blew a lead in that one that went off the rails, you know, with the Miles Powell fight. So that to me was their best chance to probably make it into a Big East final. I actually think they have a really good chance this year with their success against Providence at home. Um, I don't think Providence is that real. I know they've heard the haters, um, but at some point Providence's luck is going to run out. Um, You also will maybe face a desperate Xavier team in the quarterfinals for Providence. Providence, where Xavier, who's been awful down the stretch, um, Travis Steele putting on his best Steve Wojciechowski impression uh, with his squad just completely falling apart and now on the bubble, um, Xavier might need that Providence win to get them into the tournament. So you could see a very desperate Xavier team. Uh, Marquette has one one and one against Xavier in this season and Marquette really handled them the second time around. So I I do think they'd have a a good shot against Xavier. I think they have a good shot against Providence. I don't feel good about either Villanova or UConn in the final um, if if the bracket stays the same because I I just think those are two really special teams. Um, I think UConn to me is a team that could make it to the second weekend. I don't think they are a Final Four team. I just don't, I don't know if I trust Dan Hurley. I think because he's such an emotional coach, I think that can kind of get to you um, in those big moments. I think you can get a little tight. I think you can try a little too hard. Um, But I do think in this environment, I think UConn is built for it. We've seen it before. Um, It's the classic Big East stuff. I think they're a bad matchup for Villanova. Um, So I do think UConn can go. I also think UConn having to deal with Seton Hall in the quarterfinal is not going to be fun. UConn Seton Hall is a hell of a quarterfinal matchup if Seton Hall beats Georgetown. I don't think Seton Hall is going to have trouble with Georgetown, even though Georgetown's been scrappy uh, recently. You have to at least give Georgetown a little bit of credit there, even as bad as they are. They have fought, I think, the last few few games covering some spreads. So you got to give Georgetown that credit. But I do think that your yeah your UConn Seton Hall matchup is going to be a hell of a matchup, and if Seton Hall might be the hottest team heading into this one, have been very comfortable in this tournament before. So I don't doubt that Marquette could win this whole thing. I'd be very surprised. I think the realistic expectation for me is a at least a semifinal finals on the table. If they were to get to the final, I think that makes them more like a seven seed. I think if they were to win the Big East and they were, let's say, take care of Providence and either UConn or Villanova, I think then that vaults Marquette to maybe a five seed. I think that might be a little ambitious, but I I definitely think a six is on the table if they get to the final. I think a five could be in their cards if, you know, other teams, you know, again, to that point of shuffling the deck, however that deck may shuffle, I think that's where we could see Marquette. 
All right, let's talk about Wisconsin. So Wisconsin is going to be the two seed in the Big Ten due to their loss against Nebraska. Instead of getting a potential Wisconsin-Michigan quarterfinal matchup, we are going to either get Wisconsin against Michigan State or Wisconsin against Maryland. Now, Michigan State and Maryland played each other last Sunday, so it's kind of weird that they will be playing again. I, I always hate that because it's really hard to handicap who's going to win that game. Maryland was red hot kind of down the stretch. Like Maryland actually played pretty well, and Michigan Michigan State did not. Michigan State has sort of fallen apart. Kind of to that point about Creighton not having a point guard, Michigan State does not have one either. Uh, Michigan State was able to beat Wisconsin at uh, the Cole Center, but then Wisconsin got their revenge. So both teams, so both teams have a win against one another. Wisconsin handled the neutral court very well and was able to win the Maui in Vegas by taking care of business against Texas A&M, Houston, and Mary St. Mary. So they're definitely built for that neutral court environment. As for Michigan State, Michigan State also were were able to do all right on the neutral court. They were two and two this season, beating teams like Loyola and UConn and losing to Baylor and Kansas. And there's no nothing wrong with losing to Baylor and Kansas. Oh, they also beat Oakland uh, in the in the neutral site environment. Um, but yeah, Maryland, I, I'd be surprised if Maryland was able to beat Michigan State. I, I realize that they just played. It's really hard to handicap that sometimes, as mentioned. But Michigan State really took care of business. It seemed like they were you know, wanting to sort of send that message to, to Maryland, to the haters that said Michigan State might be on the bubble. I think Michigan State knows there's a little bit of urgency there. They don't want to be a team that fall, that loses in the first round. And then everybody is questioning whether Michigan State deserves to be in or not. They have a real turnover issue. Um, that could be a problem for Michigan State, not necessarily against Wisconsin. Wisconsin doesn't force a ton of turnovers. Um, they are very good from behind the arc. So it really, I think, comes down to Michigan State is whether they can get hot in a neutral site gym. Um, and if they are, great, and they'll, they'll thrive. But if they can't, then they are going to have some real problems. And I think they try to force things. And to me, that's when their turnovers happen. As for Wisconsin, it really comes down to the health of Johnny Davis. Now, some people could debate, should Johnny Davis play in this? Is there a reason why Johnny Davis might want to sit out? I personally think that's like the load management society of the NBA. Like Johnny Davis should play. If Johnny Davis's ankle feels all right, I think you have Johnny Davis play. You're not locked into a two or a three seed. If Johnny Davis, if you were locked into a two or a three seed or even a one or a two, like say you were Kansas or Baylor right now, like let's just say Wisconsin's resume was Kansas or Baylor. All right. That to me, I would say, yeah, let Johnny Davis sit. No, no reason to play him because worst case scenario, you get a two seed. You're still in Milwaukee. You know, there's really nothing wrong with that. But if Johnny Davis doesn't play and he and you get you don't get Milwaukee, you lose Milwaukee, you end up being a four seed. They put you out in I don't know Buffalo or Portland, and now you have to deal with a one seed, whether it be Baylor, whether it be Arizona. You likely probably do not get the Midwest luxury of playing in Chicago. Um, obviously, the Badgers would love a path of Milwaukee to Chicago, which we talked about. So to me, I think seeding is really important, and that's why Giant Davis should play if he's able to go, because Wisconsin has not been the same team without Giant Davis. Now they have been careful with him. I think they, you know, they also recognize that, you know, they, he needs to be playing at his full potential, and you know, he'll communicate how he feels with the team. And I don't think they can beat Michigan State without him. 
But I do think that Johnny Davis, you know, will want to be out there. I think Johnny Davis will want to make sure. I do, yeah, the three straight games would be a little bit of a concern. And so maybe could you try to sneak past? I think it get, becomes interesting if Maryland wins that game. Because if Maryland wins, then you wonder, like, is it worth trying to see if we can grind this out? Like, we are able to grind out against, like, a Nichols State team, remember, who had Wisconsin on the ropes without Johnny Davis. Um, and they were able to win. And Nichols State is not bad. Like, I mean, they're a, they're a definite mid-major. They're going to be, like, a 15 or a 16 seed. But they're, like, tops in their conference. So it's not like Nichols State's terrible, okay? Uh, but what I, what I do want to mention is, like, yeah, if it's Maryland, like, who knows, right? Maybe then you do rest Davis and you get him ready for that Sunday Saturday game, which could be Purdue. Now, it could also be Ohio State, um, but it could be Purdue. And Purdue-Wisconsin round three, I think everyone would sign up for. I'd be very curious to see how that's handicapped in terms of Vegas because Purdue lost both games to Wisconsin but, and were favor, favorites in both. But this is in Indiana. Um, it's really hard to beat a team three times, especially in those what we just talked about with Creighton and Marquette. Um, but yeah, that to me, Wisconsin-Purdue would be a lot of fun on Saturday and would make for a hell of a Saturday for the state of Wisconsin because you could realistically have Wisconsin-Purdue in the late afternoon followed by Marquette in the Big East final and then Bucks warriors to finish off. That is a fucking triple header. That is every reason you need to go back out to the bars in the afternoon to just watch all three. Um, even if you're not a Badger fan. Like, I, I think that's an incredible... Like, Badger, Purdue, Wisconsin-Purdue would be a really good game. I would sign up 10 out of 10 for that for a second time around. And then the final, it could be Illinois. It could be Iowa. It could be Rutgers. Iowa is a little bit of the Chicago Bulls. I tweeted out, like, I thought Iowa was a team that was worth worth consideration of the second weekend. They haven't been to a Sweet 16 since 1999. That's crazy. But I didn't realize that Iowa has not really beat anybody good. I was just taking care of business against bad teams. So I think for Iowa, can they win against an Illinois? Could they potentially win against a Wisconsin or a Purdue in the Big Ten final? Um, they also have to get past Rutgers first. And Rutgers has been dogs. Rutgers, I don't think it's on the bubble anymore. I think they're kind of off the bubble. The fact they were able to get the double buy, I think they're in a little bit of a house money situation. Like I think Rutgers is safe. Um, but yeah, maybe Rutgers could push on and they are playing in the semifinals, which would be wild, would be to me an accomplishment for the Big Ten because the Big Ten, you know, had Rutgers, had Maryland. Rutgers has been kicked around a little bit, but I think their success in basketball to me should matter. Um, and Steve Peichel's done a hell of a job. If I were Louisville or who else needs a coach? Someone else needs a coach. Maryland? If I was, yeah, like I don't think Maryland could hire Steve Peichel uh, because of the Rutgers, but if I was Louisville, like I would look at Steve Peichel. Like I would seriously consider, and that might not be as sexy as they want, but I think that's a really interesting hire because he's done such a good job with Rutgers. Um, they play a brand of basketball that's tough, that's gritty. Um, I, I really like watching Rutgers play, actually. Um, they're one of my kind of sneaky favorite teams, which I could do one time for Chuck's Corner of like sneaky favorite, favorite college basketball teams because I, I have a few. Um, and is some of it based on who've, who've been successful for me in terms of monetary purposes? Absolutely. But that sometimes, look, you just have your teams, right? So yeah, we'll actually, we'll do that this week. Let's let's book that for a truck's corner um, on Thursday's show. That'll be a fun little Thursday topic uh, for that. But yeah, as for the Badgers, 
I think best case scenario, it's honestly just getting to the semifinal, winning one game. Johnny Davis ankle, okay. Like you get him to kind of have the rest. Um, you don't put too much wear and tear on that. And the more I, I think about it, the more I talk it out, I do wonder if he's going to miss that Michigan State game and they just say, whatever. If we don't get Milwaukee, it, it sucks for our fans, but our fans will travel. That We could still get Indianapolis. It, I think you, the committee would be hard-pressed not to put Wisconsin somewhere in the Midwest because they know Badger fans travel. They know that tickets will be sold if they play. So to me... I don't think the Badgers are going to be out of the Midwest, even if they were to lose to Michigan State or Maryland. Maybe if they lost to Maryland, there would be some, but I don't. I just, I don't see it personally. Um, but we'll see. Um, as for seeding, I think if the Badgers were to win the Big Ten, I don't think they could get to the one line. I think they would need a lot of fucking shit to happen for them to the one line. I think the Nebraska loss is maybe a bridge too far. I don't know if you can have a one seed that lost to Nebraska. Um, so I think best case scenario for Wisconsin is a two. I think worst case, it's a four. Um, I'd be shocked if they were a five. I don't think Wisconsin would fall that hard, um, even if they lost to Maryland. I think they're then a, a four. But no way do I see Wisconsin to be a five. All right, we talked a lot. I'm excited for college basketball, man. Uh, if you didn't watch, if you watched the Chattanooga finish, um, Santa Clara, I went to bed, uh, hand up. But yeah, so we talked a ton uh, there. So I apologize for the longer than usual uh, first segment, but definitely a lot to get through. Uh, definitely, I think when you're road mapping this and when you're talking about it, there are a lot of scenarios of how this could happen, and definitely want to give both teams some shine. Uh, not only Wisconsin, but but um, but Marquette as well. Moving on to the NBA. So the Bucks are in action tonight against Oklahoma City. Uh, Oklahoma City is sitting a lot of their dudes. Uh, no Josh Giddy, which is kind of a bummer because Josh Giddy played really well in the month of February. No Derek Favors, Kendrick Williams. Uh, Shy Gil- Gildish Alexander still will be playing, but Shy will have to be dealing with Drew Holiday's defense. Um, this is a game that I think is a little bit of a dangerous spot for the Bucks. Oklahoma City, it doesn't matter who's on their roster. They've been able to beat teams or at least keep things close against teams. I think the Bucks just need to try to keep their head down. Um, and it's the one bad team I think they'll face in a while. So I, I actually, I think they do play the Kings. Do they play Kings? They play somebody bad, I think, next week too. But keep your head down, try to win this one, um, and not think about what's ahead. Um, and so can they, hopefully they can get that done. We'll see. Um, well, obviously we'll be podcasting during it. Um, but you, I, the, what I want to talk about with the Milwaukee Bucks was Giannis Antetokounmpo. But what I wanted to discuss today was Giannis Antetokounmpo and the marketing of Giannis Antetokounmpo. I was an interesting podcast yesterday with Ryan Russillo, Bill Simmons, and Ethan Sherwood-Strauss. Um, I would definitely recommend you guys listening to that. If you're a Hoops fan, I thought it was really insightful. A lot of stuff about how the agency world is controlling the NBA. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? But one of the things that Ethan mentioned that was kind of just a throwaway comment, and so I'm not trying to aggregate Ethan or anything like that, but he said like Giannis was mismarketed. Like Giannis is a happy dude. We don't see that enough about how Giannis is just a you know, character and a someone who loves life. And that is kind of misrepresented in sort of the national landscape and how people market him. And they have this vision and it's not necessarily the vision that they should be using for Antetokounmpo. And it was really interesting and really something to think about because 
I wonder if Giannis needs not necessarily a rebrand, but I, I do think we need to get rid of the oh, do you know this guy? Like, you know, is from Greece and he was Nigerian born and an immigrant and he was on the streets and he had to, you know, he, he basically didn't have it easy. He's the anti AAU. Like, I think like all the old narratives for Giannis need to be kind of thrown into the trash. Like at this point, Giannis Antetokounmpo is one of the faces of the NBA. You can debate whether he is the face or not the face. I don't care. Talk to Kendrick Perkins. That's his, that's, I guess, his lane. But I, I think you need to throw that in the trash. Like Giannis is a two-time MVP. He's a finals MVP. He is one of the best players in basketball, if not the best player in basketball. To me, that should be the story. And he's a jovial cat. He's a family man. He has two kids. Like, I think there is a lot for Giannis Antetokounmpo to sell that the Greece angle should kind of be put into the ground. Now, it's important to tell that story. It's important to, you know, know that. And definitely something if someone was a casual fan. But my mom knows that. Like, my mom is probably the most casual basketball fan of all time, right? Like, my mom does not necessarily give a shit that the Bucks are playing Oklahoma City. If I asked my mom, who do the Bucks play on ABC on Saturday night, she would have no idea. All right? But when it comes to playoff time, she's watching the Bucks and she likes the Bucks and she likes Giannis. And I think a lot of suburban moms would like Giannis, right? Like, how would you not? But they all now know the story. Like, they're not, a, I don't think there are a lot of suburban moms that wouldn't know this story and suburban dads for that matter. Yeah, see, we're an inclusive podcast. We're not going to be sexist. And there are a lot of suburban dads, a lot of Wally Walkershaws who know Giannis's story, who probably appreciate what Giannis is. There are a lot of Wally Walkershaws who last summer said, I wish Aaron Rodgers was more like, like Giannis Antetokounmpo. That was a real take that people had and they're not wrong. All right. And so I, I don't really know why I'm ranting, but I, I think it's just the frustration that the NBA has sort of plateaued with Giannis and that they need to start selling a new story about Giannis Antetokounmpo. They need to sell that this guy basically has elevated to one of the best in the game and sell him like they do Kevin Durant, sell him like they do Steph Curry, like they do LeBron James. To me, that's what Giannis Antetokounmpo is. And it'll be really interesting to see how they sell that versus like Luka, versus Jason Tatum, who's kind of taking it to another level, to John Morant, who we know has been at another level, and Bede, who a lot of people are like, oh, he's the MVP. That could have made the Shotsky too, by the way. Like the idea that every time someone has a big game, it's like, is he the MVP? It's so fucking dumb. We, like last two nights, Jokic had an awesome finish against uh, New Orleans. And it's like, is Jokic back-to-back MVP? And then yesterday, Embiid has like 43 against the Bulls because the Bulls can't stop a fucking sneeze inside. And then it's like, should Embiid be the MVP? It's like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, why the fuck? Like, it's such engagement bait by all these different outlets. They should be embarrassed. Like, it's just so fucking lazy. I hate it. it just drives me up the up the goddamn wall. But back to Giannis, yeah, I, I think there is a marketing plateau that has happened with Antetokounmpo, and they need to pivot into sell the family, sell the idea that he's staying in Milwaukee. That is, a, to me, a big deal. Sell the idea that he is a two-time MVP. 
I think there is something that people just do not like about Giannis Antetokounmpo. I, I don't really understand it. Like, I think the national media does themselves a disservice. And I don't know if it's because they don't want to watch Milwaukee. I don't know if it's that Giannis is not playing on a Lakers, a Knicks, um, a Bulls, a Heat. Like, would he, be, would he be marketed different if he played on one of those teams? I think he would. I really do. Like, I think if he was on the Nets and, say, KD was on the Bucks, I realize that's a weird a weird thing to think about. But I, I do. I, I think there would be a lot of people pumping Giannis' tires and we'd be past the Greek story. But because we're so obsessed with that and we're so like, oh, he actually stayed, that's where we're, we're pivoting to. I think it'll change is the years to come because I, I don't think Devin Booker is leaving Phoenix. I don't think John Morant's leaving Memphis. So I, I think the fact that you have these guys that are going to stay with their teams, that you'll actually have a little more of this and there'll be a little more opportunity to sort of grow those homegrown stories. I think Tyrese Halliburton's a guy that I don't see leaving Indiana, right? He's from Oshkosh. I think that's a perfect guy for the Pacers and a guy that the Pacers can kind of build their franchise around. That's why that trade was so stunning when it happened because I, I really think that it makes Indiana kind of maybe the next Cleveland, right? What's to say that they can't be Cleveland three or four years down the road and be contending for a top six playoff spot? So to me, like those guys are going to, Darius Garland, another example of this, right? Like I think that there is going to be more of this. And I think that will only help tell Giannis's story and sell Giannis's story. And truth be told, I think once LeBron James gets out of the league, I think the NBA just has to kind of reapproach their entire marketing program because LeBron still can't. Like, right? Like, LeBron still drives ratings. LeBron still drives views. Everybody wants to talk about LeBron, even though he plays at an absolutely pathetic Lakers team. But it's the Lakers. It's LeBron. Of course, you're going to talk about that. So we'll see if anything changes. Um, I think if Giannis were to get to the finals again, if Giannis were to win the finals again, I think that elevates him to another stratosphere of of NBA superstardom. But we'll, we'll just have to see. So yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on. Definitely something to talk about as the months go on. All right, let's do Wisconsin Trotsky. If you're unfamiliar with this segment, uh, we've done this a few times. It's kind of like our rapid fire. So it's just three different things. If you think of a Schatzky, um at a German res- German restaurant or at you know maybe your local bar, you have three shots there. Whether the shots Jameson, whether it's Rumplemans, whether it's Jack Daniels, whatever you prefer, that is what the Wisconsin Schatzky is. Usually it is local, sometimes some national stuff. Uh, bleeds in here gives us a chance to talk about what's going on in the sports world so the first thing uh, to keep it local justice for thomas moore so thomas moore if you're unfamiliar with this story pretty wild story so thomas moore is the top seed in the division three for the wia for the playoffs here in wisconsin thomas moore is a private school it's a smaller school on the south side of milwaukee Thomas Moore played Fuller Academy, which I have no idea what it is. My guy Doze was like, is this the Bishop Sycamore of Milwaukee? Um, if you're unfamiliar with that story, look that up, uh, But I, which I don't know. Uh, it's a charter school. It's like a college prep academy, I guess. As the game is winding down and as Thomas Moore is beating Fuller Academy by 20 plus points, 
uh, player for Fuller Academy basically does a step over where he rubs his dick and balls over another Thomas More player. Thomas More player does not respond kindly to that. He pushes him, and then that starts a complete fracas. And the Milwaukee or the Fuller Academy fans rush the court, so they get on the court right away. Like it is absolute madness. The refs do absolutely nothing to stop it. And it just spills out. Now, I don't think any Thomas More players actually threw a punch or anything like that. So it was a complete shit show at the very end of this game. And it wasn't really talked about. Like Travis Wilson, who does uh, with sports, tweeted it out. He had the video. But the video didn't necessarily go viral. It didn't reach sort of that national sports zeitgeist. Like it didn't reach Barstool. It didn't reach like Sports Illustrated does a lot of this content stuff. Like it, it did not hit that national level. So I don't think a lot of people saw the video originally. Then when you actually watch the video, you realize that the kids from Thomas More did nothing wrong. Well, the WIA being the pieces of shit that they are, um, which they've been the woat for so long. Like you think Rob Manfred, Roger Goodell are bad. You should meet the WIA and Deb Hauser. I mean, just a fucking pathetic uh, group of leaders there. And they they basically suspend Thomas Moore. They say Thomas Moore can't play. You can either forfeit or play with your JV against Brown Deer, who was an old rival, uh, Brown Deer, Thomas Moore. I don't know if they play in the Parkland. No, I don't think so. They play in the Woodland for sure. I don't know if they're in the conference anymore. I have no idea with conferences and and high school or uh, high school basketball or football for that matter. But yeah, so Thomas Moore forfeits, Brown Deer wins, Brown Deer advances. Thomas Moore goes, not so fast, my friend. They are petitioning with lawyers to play the game. Let these guys in. Will the lawyers be able to convince that we have a playing game between Thomas Moore and Brown Deer? I think the sectional fi- or sectional semifinal is Thursday. So I, they have to like play them. Like, I don't know how this can work. Like, this is fascinating to me. Like, so, so could there be a situation? Like, they have to play it by Wednesday, right? Like, if they... If they get to Thursday, like Brown Deer is going to play whoever they play in the, in the semifinal. I should have that on me. I don't. But like they have to get this done like really quick. So how the fuck is this going to happen? I have no idea. Uh, but justice for Thomas Moore, I would imagine a decision comes today uh, being Tuesday. If Thomas Moore is able to play, I'm guessing they would play Wednesday. And the winner of that game Wednesday would probably play Friday. Like, it's going to be unfair to somebody. Someone's going to have to play back-to-back games. That, I think, is probably maybe the WIA's contention. But guess what? You guys screwed these guys in the first place. You should have at least, you know, looked at the tape a little bit closer. It was a complete overreaction by the WIA, which isn't a surprise given the issues the WIA has with this type of shit. But, yeah. So we'll see if Thomas Moore gets in. Free Thomas Moore. Uh, we'll see if they're able to play their game against Brown Deer uh, before the sectional semifinal. Other things. Calvin Lilly busted for gambling. He is suspended for a year. Uh, Calvin Ridley tweeted through it. Would not recommend that. Calvin Ridley with the iconic comment that I only bet $1,500. I do not have a gambling problem. He also did multiple parlays, a three-team parlay, a five-team parlay, an eight-team parlay. First of all, if you're doing an eight-team parlay and you're putting $500 down, you are a fucking madman. 
there is no one that's going to win an 18 parlay. I, I, if you know someone who's won an 18 parlay, I would like to meet them because that's ridiculous. The best you can probably do is five or six. Like five, you can get. It's again, still the odds are very high. Three, way more realistic. Like you can hit a three-team parlay. I won't say easy because parlays are never easy. They never, you know, work out the way that they're supposed to. But yes, there is a better chance of you as you keep growing. Two-team parlay, easy-ish. Three-team parlay, realistic. Four-team gets a little tougher. Five, it gets even tougher. Six, it's kind of a crapshoot. By, by, by six, you're, you're really asking for it at that point, right? You're really sort of saying, okay, I can get this parlay to happen or not happen. But yes, I um, I think it's crazy that Ridley thought that this was okay. Um, that he basically used an app, the only legal app in Florida, uh, the Hard Rock app, that basically were able to track Ridley's activity and movement. He didn't have someone else do it for him. Like if Ridley wanted to bet on games when he was out with the mental health issue, like he could have had like one of his buddies bet. He could have said, "Here's fifty bucks, fifteen hundred. Here are the games I want to place bets on." And again, that could not be tracked. Like that's a very easy thing. Use your buddy's login. Like this is not hard. The fact that Calvin Ridley thought this was okay is a massive mistake by him. Now the question is, is like, was the mental health thing him realizing that he fucked up? Like he stepped away from the team at that point. So was this mental health related to this? Or was it not? A lot of people have asked questions. There have been some ridiculous takes out there. Emmanuel Acho um, with the videos of Calvin Ridley potentially screwing his team uh, was absolutely reckless and it was complete misinformation. Why Acho is allowed to have a Twitter account after that is fucking ridiculous. Uh, Mike Florio coming to the aid of Ridley saying, well, it's hypocritical because the league you know, promotes gambling and everything like that. The fucking league helped catch Ridley. The league put these things in place so guys do not gamble. They made all of these things to say like, we don't want our guys gambling. We have this app. Is it unfair to say like, yeah, we promote DraftKings, but a guy can't actually gamble on DraftKings? Sure, but look, there are a lot of things like that in society. They promote beer and alcohol, but they're not saying that these guys can be fucking wasted on the field. Now, I realize there are guys who've admitted to being drunk on the field. And you know what I mean? Like, it, it's just, it doesn't work that way all the time. That's how, corp, and it's how sponsorship goes, all right? Like, the, would these guys, would Calvin Ridley just say he doesn't have a gambling problem? Would Calvin Ridley rather take money from DraftKings Sportsbook in Georgia if they were launching versus not taking that money? Of course he'd take the sponsorship money. Even if he couldn't place a bet, of course he would, right? And I don't know what they say about, like, could Calvin Ridley have put that 1500 on the golf tournament? Could he have put it on the NBA, which it was in November? So could he have done that? Could he have done that, could put it on ba- uh, baseball and over? Calvin Ridley, the, the whole crux of the problem is he gambled on fucking football, all right? It has nothing to do with the NFL promoting DraftKings, FanDuel, Barstool. Well, I don't promote Barstool, but you get my point, right? Like, the NFL also putting these things in place so the players would not run into this. And I think this is, and they needed to come out hard against Ridley so it wouldn't happen again. They basically are like, we are not seeing any sort of forgiveness here. We are suspending him for a full season. We want to send a message. To me, this is a message sent by the NFL. 
I don't think they're hypocrites. We want to dunk on the NFL because it's so easy and clutch our pearls. We love to hate the NFL. But at the end of the day, this is Calvin Ridley being a fucking idiot. And I don't have any sympathy for him. All right, last thing, John Rossi. So John Rossi's had these tweets. I love John Rossi. Like I would, I did interview John Rossi. I think I love his passion for college basketball. I appreciate it. There's only a few to me that are as obsessed with college basketball than John Rossi. So I, I give him a lot of credit for promoting the sport, for making the sport a real deal. But he has this bit that has been driving me up the fucking wall. I have to admit, like it, it really is. So here's the thing about John. Here's the thing about John John Rothstein, or here's the tweets that he's been having that have been driving me crazy. Gonzaga Mary on a Tuesday night in the WCC tournament game. Who needs the Fiesta Bowl? He also said this. North, North Dakota State, South Dakota State in the Summit League tournament. Who needs the Texas Bowl? Basically, John has made the case that these bowl, these mid-major conference championship games are better than the meaningless bowl games in December. He's not wrong, but it's not apples to apples. That's apples to fucking tomatoes, all right? Like those meaningless games are, there's nothing there. There's nothing that, there's no carrot. They don't advance to the NCAA tournament of football. If they did, those bowl games would mean something. Those bowl games would actually probably be more important than than the fucking Summit League final. But because they don't have a carrot, they don't have a reward at the end, no one gives a fuck. To me, the interesting angle about the Summit League tournament is if South Dakota State loses, could they get an at-large bid? The Summit is not necessarily known for being a team that would have two teams in the tournament. But there's a real case that if South Dakota State loses that game, they are one of the best teams. They're one of the best 68 teams. They have an awesome, they had an awesome season. They were undefeated. But North Dakota State, really good in these spots. It would not surprise me if North Dakota State won this game. But yeah, South Dakota State would have a real case to me to get into the tournament. Their losses this season are to Alabama, to Washington, and to Missouri State and Idaho. Idaho's a bad loss, I will admit. Like Idaho is their easily their worst loss. They have not lost since December the 15th. They also beat Washington State. They beat George Mason. They beat Nevada. They beat Stephen F. Austin. They beat Montana State. They beat Bradley. Like those are those aren't bad wins. Like those are pretty good wins. Like those so they have to me a really fascinating resume. To me, like it, for more madness, it is North Dakota State winning because then that creates like a real bubble conversation. To me, South Dakota State deserves to get in over fucking Indiana, but because Indiana has the fan base, Indiana might get in. Or South Dakota State, best case would be like a first four team in that first four. But yeah, so we'll see. And that should have been the story. It's not about the bowl games. It's about what happens if South Dakota State loses. And the same for Gonzaga. To me, the mid-major tournament attraction is, you know, what happens if they lose? Or if they if it really is a one and done, like where is the other storylines? Like the Bryant Wagner, you know, Wagner was getting hackled by the Bryant students, you know, before the game. That's awesome. That should be talked about. Uh the Bellamine or Bellarmine or whatever the fuck it is, the A Sun team that can't get in the tournament. This is their Super Bowl. This is their their March Madness. Like they they have that, which is a crazy rule in its own right. Like that's the stuff. Not necessarily like 
it should be it shouldn't be a dick measuring contest with college football like to me that's just ridiculous but whatever uh with john rostein if you know like if he has a stick he sticks to it he doesn't get off that stick that's his stick all right that does it for our show really long podcast again um hope you guys enjoy all the content i'm putting out um that more reason to tell your friends about us more reason to rate and review um, and yeah, if you have any feedback, let us know, um, get involved with the tournament. If you want to support it in some way, um, just let me know, reach out. Or if you have ideas on prizes, we will take prize ideas. I will take any and all prize ideas. I think I have first prize figured out. Shout out to my guy Notch on that. But I do think, um, we would take other ideas. Um, definitely feel free to reach out with the best ones. Um, we'll make it happen. All right. Take care guys. Have a good Tuesday. Back tomorrow with Mitch. Um, it's been two weeks. So Mitch and I try to get a little more consistency here as we get closer to the month of March. All right, take care, guys. Have a good one. Bye.